Awesome. All right, I'm going to invite Lito to come and bring the uh, reading for us this morning. So, Lito. Do the reading from New Living Translation today. So, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to the book of John. We're going to uh, read from chapter 2, chapter two from verse 13 to 25. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at uh, tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over the tables. It's not very like Jesus, eh? Then, going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. But the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. What? They exclaimed. It was taken 46 years to build this temple and you can rebuild this in three days? But when Jesus said, this temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew human nature. No one needed to tell him what mankind is really like. Thank you, Lito. Awesome. You can take that with you. Give it to Leon <laughs> or somebody. Awesome. All right. I think we got the, um, we're going somewhere now. All right. With this, uh, sorry, the slides did not work when we wanted them to, but that's all right. You got the message, and you're probably very familiar with the passage. All right. So, good morning. I'm Libby, and it's really <coughs> good to be here this morning. Um, it's, it's nice to come into a place where you are known, as Tina said, where you are loved, and uh, where we can worship and we can celebrate and where we can cry if we want to. It's a good place to be able to be, a safe place. Uh, and so, you know, I think God had something of that in mind when he created um, his house. And so as we look today, we've just taken the communion, haven't we? This beautiful feast that we have Every time we, we can have it as often as we want, but each time the Lord tells us, remember me, right? Because, you know, without the Lord, we have nothing, right? We're just hollow shells that are going to go into dust one day, right? But with the Lord, we have the spirit of life. We have eternal life. And so we are so, we are so blessed. And so as we come to this passage, we remember last week that uh, Rod talked about, uh, well, not last week, two weeks ago, that talked about the wedding in Cana. Remember, that was Jesus was just starting out in his ministry, and uh, they um, had a wedding that he was invited to, and he went with his disciples as well. I think his mother was quite involved with it, and uh, he ended up doing a miracle, his first miracle, turning the water into wine, and that was to save the embarrassment of the bridegroom because the supplies had run out, right? So that was a good thing to do, but he probably he was saying at the time that he wasn't that wasn't he wasn't ready it wasn't his time but yet he still did it because he knew there was a need and so he's got his disciples and uh, they 
finish the wedding and then they end up, it's nearly Passover. So the preparation for Passover is happening. It normally starts a, a bit of a month out. And uh, so this is the celebration where uh, the Jews remember the coming out of Egypt, where they were under slavery in Egypt. And remember the story of, uh, with Moses and all the miracles that happened at that time in order to get them out of Egypt because Pharaoh was not having any of it. He was not going to let them go. And so they remember um, every year that this is what God has done for them. And again, it's like us. We have to have these times of remembrance, don't we? So we have communion in the modern today. Um, Jews will still celebrate Passover because that's very much an important part of that. We just had Matariki, uh, which is uh, you know the Māori New Year. So there's different celebrations that different nations they have for different things, right? But for the Christian, this one we've just done is the most important one because it constantly reminds us of who has sacrificed for us and why he has done that. So uh, you can imagine, here's Jesus. He's walking along and there he's going to get ready for the um, Passover. Into, he's going into Jerusalem and there are, it is crazy. It is a crazy time to go, right? You think women's FIFA World Cup's bad? No, this is like, you know, rugby World Cup's all that. You know, you see all the people out there in the crowds if you want to go anywhere. <laughs> it's limiting or how you can get places because of maybe, you know, traffic congestion and all that kind of stuff. Well, this is Passover celebration. But not only are there people, there are other, other things as well. We'll get to that. So, Jesus is at the beginning of his ministry, and he is going to make a great entrance, right? Because what happens, he comes into this busy, busy place, uh, and he does something pretty dramatic, right? So, but I just want to go back a bit first. So when the people are here, they're thinking of the Seder. So I've got it there. That's a Passover Seder plate. And we did that um, at MCC last year. Uh, and uh, we have done other years as well. So it's just good to, to remember. But not only would they be coming at this point in time, because like the, the time with Moses and deliverance out of Egypt, that happened centuries earlier, right? So now um, they are still hopeful because the word of God... The scriptures that they have, it does not just say about that. It promises that a Messiah is going to come. So they're holding on to their scriptures because God does not do something just once. If it's need doing again, he will do it again, but he doesn't always do it in the same way because he's a creative God and he does things differently. But he achieves his purposes no matter what. So they're hoping again maybe that a Messiah will come and will deliver them out of the hands of the Romans because now they're under Roman rule. Before it was Egyptian, right? This time it's under Roman. Could this new rabbi Jesus that they heard about, he's just turned water into wine, wow, that was pretty amazing. And he's been doing other things along as they've seen. They see him coming, he's got his disciples, so they know it's a new guy on town. What's happening? Well, part of this, so they maybe, maybe this could be, could he be the one we're waiting for? All right, so let's just go back to what is needed for this preparation. Well, it's a messy business. Somebody's got to do it, clean up after the animals. But it's, there's animals. Probably they don't necessarily look like that. They're probably more like, those are probably more like New Zealand or Indian cows maybe, I don't know. The sheep are quite familiar to us, aren't they? <laughs> so there were sheep, there were cattle, there were doves. Uh, they had a lot of um, animals, and you, we call this... Um, Tina put the thing on, this is holy chaos. Well, indeed, (laughs) 
it would have been a holy chaos because where did they have them? In the temple grounds, yeah, in the temple grounds. And so, you know, it wasn't like uh, way out on the farm, right? So if you had, so we're getting close because Passover is only a, a short time away now. Previously, you could have bought your cow or your, uh, your, your sheep or whatever it is you were going to bring as your sacrifice to the temple, to the synagogue. You could have uh, got that out of town, right? But the one thing is that the animals, they have to be inspected and verified that they are the right quality because there can be no blemish or fault in the animal, right? So they've got to be tested. And so it could be a costly exercise because if you bring an animal in yourself and you haven't checked it properly and you're a bit ignorant about the process, well, they could just say to you, sorry, that animal's no good. You have to get rid of that one and you have to go and get another one. And so there is a huge cost involved with this this Passover, right? Because they've got to come, they've got to bring their animals, um, their sacrifice, that's their offering, and uh, they get charged for the inspection, they get charged for the animal, so it's quite, you have to save up for it, right? Okay, so uh, not, not only animals, we also, it tells us, what have we got? Money changes, right? So there were quite a few different nationalities and different currencies in Jerusalem, right? So at least seven or eight we could rattle off, but there could have been others. So you can imagine it's quite a process for the money changes. They've got to work out, okay, the Egyptian coin, the Roman coin, uh, whatever, you know, like they've got all these, they've got to try and swap it out because you, the rule was you couldn't bring your offering into the temple unless it was a Jerusalem coin, right? So what needed to happen was that they would take the money that they had, like their Roman penny or silver or whatever, and they had to swap it out for the Jerusalem one. So, uh, and then these coins would get weighed because sometimes there would be, they wouldn't actually be the right weight for the value that was on them, right? Because people would try and cheat. And so they would check it out. So you would get fined or you would have to pay a tax on um, the exchange rate. But not only that, say, say uh, you come in, you would get uh, fined for the, the payment that you had to make, or the, uh, there'd be an admin fee for that, and then you would get a charge for the change that you would have to get if you had, didn't have the right money, right? So it was a very lucrative business. Um, so you imagine coming to MCC and finding animals all, you know, in corners here and, you know, in the, in the, in, in the foyer and the entryway as you're trying to get through the door. Uh, and, you know, there's just the smell, and there's people everywhere, and there's people talking in different languages as well because they didn't all speak the same language. Uh, and so, you know, it's just a bit crazy. And then you come up, you've got to pay your uh, tithe is $16, thank you very much. But when you come and give me, you can only get $20 notes at the ATM machine up the road, so you bring your $20 note to pay your tithe, and then I say to you, well... It's $2 cost for you for me to receive your tithe because it's an admin fee because I've got to give it to Joy and she's got to bank it and it's a bit of a hassle. So, you know, we've got to charge you for that. And then, and then on top of that, um, I've got to give you change. So it's $2 for me to give you the change. So let's just call it, keep the change, shall we? You know, so, <laughs> so it's a bit like that, right? But I don't know about you. I would hate coming every year knowing that it's a battle to come in, that you know you're going to be ripped off. There's a, that, that the reason for your coming is being tainted by all this kind of like market stuff that's going on. Um, I'm just wanting to, to bring my offering to the Lord because I appreciate what he's done for me, but this is like, what do you call this, you know? 
Um, and I'd be really upset that now this place of worship no longer is meeting the need that I have to worship with my God. And are you kidding me? Am I going to bring my friends? I don't think so. Well, you can imagine. Jesus came into the temple area. He sees all this going on and it says he just quietly makes a whip out of rope. And if you think about this, it's about this place that he did this. Not very far away was where he himself was whipped. Only that one was a bit of an uglier version with lead tips. So Jesus comes in. He is not happy because his father's house is being just blasphemed and um, messed up. And this is not what's supposed to be happening. And he overturns the tables with the coins and they go everywhere. And he tells the people selling the doves, get them out of here. Don't turn my father's house into a marketplace. Now, it's absolutely understandable that you would have that emotion, right? I mean, I think we would have that emotion if something precious to us, this, this happened for us. It says in Psalm 89, 14, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Unfailing love and truth will walk before you as attendants. Jesus had this amazing relationship with the Father. He he brought righteousness and justice to the world. This psalm in Psalm 89 was actually written by a guy called Ezra the Ezraite. We don't know too much about Ezra other than he was a very wise man, but not as wise as King Solomon, it says. And when we read the Psalms, in fact, many places in the Old Testament, it helps us to understand that the people there, when they wrote those Psalms, they were talking about the here and now, but it was also prophetic. It was also about what was to come. And the references, and you can read in those, and you can see the prophetic coming through with it. And uh, so the Psalm was referring to King David, but it also referred to the man called Jesus. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. He was bringing righteousness and justice. So he loved his father. He was about his father's business. That's what he said when he was a young boy. Why are you looking for me? I'm about my father's business. Remember when he got left behind and they all went one other time to, to, um, to the temple? Jesus, it says, spent time praying, listening to God's written word, listening to God himself, listening with his, in his spirit. Jesus knew the heart of the father was to bring restoration not just for the Jewish people, but for all people, which is what we heard Paul read in that reference in Ephesians. The practice of bringing a sacrifice as payment for your sin reminded the people constantly of God's faithfulness and willingness to offer forgiveness and restore relationships. Coming to the temple was about coming to acknowledge and honor the God God who had done this with our lives, who had brought, who'd rescued them out of Egypt. That was, that was, they should be coming and honoring him to give him the glory for all that he had done, to seek forgiveness by bringing an offering, a suitable offering. When Jesus saw the temple looking like a, mar a, a marketplace or an Eastern bazaar, has anybody been in an Eastern bazaar? It's pretty crazy, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> of course this is going to create that response. This is meant to be a house of prayer, we're told. It's meant to be a house of prayer. Instead, there were people using it as an opportunity to make money, create rules for their own profit, take advantage of the poor, and worst of all, it was approved by the relig religious leaders who most likely had much to gain through even renting out the land, the space, right? When you love something or someone so much, 
that is right to feel angry about the abuse that is happening. I don't believe, though, that his response was just about the chaos that was presented. God had created a house of worship for all nations to come to. Prophetically, we're told about that in the future. This was not an inviting place. It was smelt of greed and dishonesty. It was selfish. It was not God-honoring, and certainly not to the great I Am, the God who created heavens and earth. Which God are they honoring here? Is it the God of money, pride, greed? Isaiah 2 talks about the last two days. It says, um, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. What is appealing about this mess? Is there anything appealing? The nations look on, saw this as a house of thieves or a marketplace, not a house of prayer. And we read that in the word as well. It might turn into a den of thieves. That is not appealing to people looking on. What are we doing in the house of God? What we are doing in the house of God that makes it appealing to others from the church, from other cultures, for those who don't believe? Does our church home create a bridge or a barrier? In Psalm 69, verse 9, it says, Passion for God's house will consume me. This is the reference that Lita read that the disciples remembered. They remembered that passion for God's house was going to, it was going to be his undoing. And surely that's what happened. It was a prophecy come true. The disciples recognized that. So how passionate are we about the God we serve? Will people believe God is real if they look at my life? Are we overcomers? Are we passionate? Are we demonstrating that we are greatly loved and forgiven? Do we recognize that the miracle-working God still does miracles today? Uh, while Faye and I were in Kirikiri, uh, we got to hear some miracles. Stories of people whose lives had been changed. Come out of addictions, violence and abuse. Hospitalized, one person was hospitalized so many times you couldn't count. And today they were celebrating one year of knowing Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Beautiful, beautiful person. And they glowed. You know what? When you first become a Christian, you see the passion is there, isn't it? The passion to share. They're so excited to share about what God is doing and how he's changing things in their life because it's such a radical difference from where, how they were living before to how they are now. It's amazing. It doesn't mean to say they're not hitting the hard stuff with um, you know, the challenges and the, some of the problems that they're having to come out of are still coming and attacking them sometimes. But they're just so thankful to God for what he's done in their life. And uh, it was such an encouragement to hear some of those, those people share what God had done. And um, I just wonder, do you remember your first year in God's family? What that was like? Because, you know, for some of us, it's been a long time. And are we a little bit, you know, ho-hum? How passionate were you back then? I remember going on beach missions and doing all sorts of things, you know. And, and God was very present and real and everything was exciting, right? And sometimes we just can get a bit ho-hum. Well, Faye shared about her story and... Uh, and Faye has also been on that uh, incredible story where God has made such an impact in her life and Jo's as well. And she talked about Black Rain, which is, deals with intergenerational trauma and how we need to look at that in order for us to receive our healing and recovery. We have a knowing of what God is doing in our generations. And um, 
as she, um, as she shared those, the story and as she shared about the black rain, you could just see people were nodding, there were tears, there were people making connection with what was being said. Um, and everyone in the room was impacted. God's presence was welcomed in with prayer and worship. You didn't even have to know the words. If you didn't know the words, it didn't matter. You just had to soak in the, what was the worship. And one of the songs uh, which reminded me back in the day, and I don't know how old some of you are, whether you remember this. I'm sure Joy might and Kevin might, maybe. Um, <laughs> but there was a guy called Steve Aparana, and uh, he linked up with the Parachute Band, and they did on their Adore album, he did um, I'm Hungry For You. And uh, so because uh, we were where we were in Kitty Kitty and picked that song, and it, it's a beautiful song. It says, I'm hungry for you, so hungry for you, needing your touch, just a touch of your hand. Shower down your sweet, sweet rain on my thirsty land. Desperate in me, hear my heart cry. Guide me in your breath of life. Don't pass me by. I'm hungry for you. So hungry for you. Jesus' passion for God's house consumed him. He was hungry for more of God because he knew the Father. He knew that God's love was so great for this world, it would take a huge sacrifice to bring about the restoration of people and bring honor and glory to God. He knew he would have to be the bridge between God and his people so that they could enter the house of worship and be part of the eternal family of God. Jesus felt the heart of the Father. He is one with the Father. He did not want to have any obstacle stop people from coming into the presence of the Father. And this was the way they did it then, by coming to the temple. And he certainly didn't want those charged with the privilege of looking after the Father's house to be the main obstacles for the nations to come in. There should be no judgments, no favoritism, only God's unconditional love and forgiveness. If we choose to follow the way of Jesus, we cannot live passionless lives. We have to stir up that within us. It's not a popular calling. People will not like that you are passionate for God's ways to be upheld. What happened to Jesus? Well, after clearing the temple grounds, the Jewish leaders came and demanded by whose authority was he doing this. They demanded a sign, a miraculous sign. Interestingly, they didn't have him arrested or try to beat him up for his actions. Why do you think that was? Why did they not do that? Apparently, the servants of the priests had no trouble beating people with sticks if they didn't do what they were told. But some say the marketplace or what they were doing in the temple grounds there was unpopular with many. And so the people would have been watching intently. Here's this young rabbi. What the heck is going on? What's going to happen? What are they going to do? In fact, there probably was some cheering him on while he was tipping up the tables and driving out the sheep and the cows, right? telling everybody to get out. So the priests were smart enough. They knew. You know what? The Romans were just down the road. They could have sent the troops if there was going to be an uproar, right? So they didn't want to have any uproar. So they knew it wasn't right time for them to take action. They most likely feared the riot. So this time, they let things go. They didn't even tell them off. 
They just said, what authority do we have? Give us a sign that shows us that you have authority. But Jesus was now on their radar. However, this is not the only time Jesus clears the temple. This is the first time, right? Sometimes, and I've had the same thing when I got confused, because, you know, you see it's written in all the Gospels, all the Gospels, but in John is the time when Jesus started out his ministry, when he cleared the temple and he made the whip, right? The other three accounts in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke are when Jesus clears the temple at the end of his ministry time. And that was definitely the cause of his downfall because they knew this guy by then and they made plans to take care of him. When the leaders asked Jesus for a sign, he responded, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Well, as per usual, Jesus is always giving comments in like parables. (laughs) So it's not clear at the beginning. Oh, you must be joking. It took us 46 years to build this temple. You can't possibly do it in three days. Who do you think you are? But he wasn't talking about a physical structure, was he? He was talking about his body. And sure enough, when they killed him, because that's what they plotted to do, three days later, he rose again. Hallelujah, because that has now given us new life. Jesus knew the hard hearts of the leaders would not be able to hear or understand what he was trying to say when he, when he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. He responded with a type of parable which you only understand after the event. And that's a lot of the parables. You understand it after the event. You go, ah, 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 okay? So it's very, it gets you thinking. And so again we hear the disciples remembered First time the disciples remembered and believed was when Jesus, uh, they remembered the scripture about his, his uh, passion will, uh, for the, God's house will consume him. And the second time here, he, where they saw and they remembered after his death that Jesus said, in three days this temple will be raised up. So they believed Jesus and they believed the scriptures. The sign of Jesus being raised from the dead is still our sign today isn't it? It is the sign that tells us, if Jesus had not risen again, what's the point of us believing? He'd still be in the grave, right? It's a sign today still for us to believe, not only in Jesus, but to believe the scripture, the Bible, the written word of God that has so much truth in it. And sometimes we, we're, we're not good at reading that word. And you can't just read individual verses here and there because you need to have the whole understanding of the Bible to know what God is saying about these things. Because remember, some things were written in the here and now, but they talked about the future. And we don't understand the parables until we've seen them come to pass. So you can't just read the first, but you'll get completely confused. Right? So we need to read the whole word of God and believe it is the word of God. It calls us to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, saviour of the world, God's son, and that scripture is true. And he, Jesus has fulfilled all those prophecies that were written about himself so long ago. But sadly, it's sad, isn't it, that they believe that, but many trusted the Messiah, but Jesus did not trust human nature. Many believed he was who he claimed to be at that point because of the signs, right? Because of the miracles. But the fickleness of human nature, we're so fickle. We're just as likely to believe someone else tomorrow. And Jesus knew that about the people. And in this case, as we know, 
The same crowd that sang Hosanna, here, come, here he comes, the king of kings, said crucify. So those that bring his praises became his accusers and condemned him to death on the cross. The church, that's all of us, all around the world, represent the body of Christ. We are all needed to work in unity, to use our gifts and talents to help the body grow healthy and strong. Jesus is the head of the church. And his love for God's house has not waned. It was passionate then, it is still passionate today. He loves it when his people come together. It's a place, he wants a place where all God's people are welcome to come and meet with him, to worship him, to honour his name, to provide that place where restoration can occur in our lives, where our hearts can be filled and we can believe for the miraculous again. And I want to tell you, there are people who are coming in to the presence of God because there are believers who are willing to share their love for God and their lives are being changed. There are miracles happening. It is not from way back then, folks. It is happening today. There are miracles happening. As we put good practices in place in our lives, we'll reap the benefits of being renewed. It's tough out there, isn't it? This huge amount of heartache, anxiety, um, violence and abuse is going on. Our only hope is Christ. Jesus is the hope of the world and the church is the one that brings Jesus to the people. We bring that hope. We share that hope. Faye brought a word um, before she spoke up at um, Kirikiri. She felt God had given her a word about calling out to God, not just rattling off prayers, but really calling him to show himself to you. If you're going through a hard time, if you're struggling with something, really call and expect that God will come and show you, show himself. There is a song we used to sing also from Jeremiah 33.3. don't know if some of you will remember it. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Our God is still a God of great and mighty things. He is amazing. He can do great things. He is just waiting for us to enter in. We're going to sing a song now which I want to remind us how precious and important God's house is and how we need to just soak in what God is doing in his, in his house, get passionate again, and start to really uh, be able to share out of that passion with others around us. We want all nations to come into MCC and we need to find ways to welcome them in. Let me just pray for a minute. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you that you are our great almighty God, that your passion for your church is still uh, strong and palpable today and you want to see your church uh, grow and blossom and be welcoming and be a place of restoration, Lord, a place where hope is found, that in this world which is so broken, Lord, that we can come and know that we are a child of yours, that we are loved by you. Father, help us to bring that message to a broken world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.